Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, we're in Jude. Jude, it's right before Revelation. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for all you're doing in our midst. And Lord, we even lift up the VBS. We were one of the few churches 20 years ago doing VBS, and now there's so many. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we ask your blessing upon every single church and every single VBS. For the enemy is going after the young people. As the video showed us, that is true. That is real. And Lord, we want to be in that battle. So we ask your blessing upon every single church that's doing a VBS, that those little hearts would be open to the gospel, that many would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus as their Savior. And Lord, if there's someone in our midst this morning that does not know Jesus as their Savior, that you would open their hearts, open their spiritual eyes to see that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, and after the service that they would come forward and ask Jesus to be their Savior, the free gift of salvation, that they might spend eternity with the rest of us who have Jesus as our Savior. Father, I pray for the gift of teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jude, we're only going to cover two verses. That's what we did the first service, so that's what we'll do here. So Jude 1 and 2. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Well, as we do on all of our studies, let's do the who, why, when, and where of this letter. The first thing to notice is that Jude identifies himself as, a, as the brother of James, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. Jude is short form of Judas. Judas. I mean, who wants to be identified by that name? I don't know how many Judases you know. I don't know any Judases. Because of the betrayal of Jesus by Judas Iscariot. But in the word of God, there are various men who have the name James. So which one might it be? Well, James the Apostle was the brother of John. James and John. Who wrote, John wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John and Revelation. But this James was martyred in 42 to 44 AD. In Acts 12, 1, we read this. And now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So we know exactly James was martyred in roughly 42, 44 AD. The Bible gives very little information about the next two men named James. One was the son of Alphaeus, who was one of the twelve disciples, and James the father of Judas. Now this Judas was a disciple, but not Judas Iscariot. So the Bible doesn't give us much information about these men named James. So the last choice would be James, the half-brother of our Lord. Why don't we look at Mark chapter 6. You see, the Lord had both brothers and sisters. And this is not disrespectful. It's just biblical. And so it's very important for you to make sure that you are reading your Bibles 
and not just following after the teachings of a man or a certain church denomination. So as we look at James, a half-brother of our Lord, he is listed second in the family birth order. And it's easy to memorize this address. Mark 6, half of 6 is 3. So Mark 6, 3. But we're going to start in verse 1. Then Jesus went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hand? Now verse 3, Mark 6, half of 6 is 3. Is, not, is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James. And you've probably noticed we're not hearing anything about Joseph. Uh, So we're assuming at this time that Joseph has already passed. But the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, most likely Joe Jr., Judas, which is shortened to Jude, the book that we're reading, and Simon, and are not his sisters, notice sisters, plural, So Jesus had at least two sisters. And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Now what is really interesting is that Jude, along with James, who wrote the book of James, by the way, along with the rest of our Lord's family, didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ during his earthly ministry. Let's look at Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. 31 through 33. And again, if you're new to the scriptures, you want to go ahead and follow the slide. You want to do that. There you go. Follow that slide and find it in your Bible. And I understand, you know, we have phones. I encourage you to get away from your phone. I encourage you to do your devotions in a paper Bible so that your phone's not with you to distract you from all the dings and the dongs and all the other stuff that takes place. Mark 3, 31 Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And the multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat around him, about him, and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Let's look at John chapter 7. John chapter 7. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. So the religious Jews. Jesus had performing, been performing tremendous signs and wonders. He had crowds following him that they were very envious of. And so they, want to get, they wanted to get rid of him, the religious Jews. Verse 2, John 7, 2. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. So this was a fall feast. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here. So they're in Nazareth. Now his brothers are talking to him. Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things... Show yourself to the world. Now, John gives us a commentary about his family, the Lord's family, in verse 5. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Well, after the resurrection, we see this in Acts 1.14. 
These all continued with one accord, so this is after the resurrection, in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Again, we don't see Joseph. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Again, specifically. Then Paul gives us this commentary in 1 Corinthians. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of our Lord and Cephas or Peter? And so we could see, and there's other scriptures, the scriptures clearly teach us that Jesus had brothers and sisters, but they didn't believe in him until the resurrection. Jude didn't become a true believer until after the crucifixion and resurrection of his old, this brother, Jesus. You see, all of that intro brings us to this fact, that this letter is written by Jude, who was commonly believed to have been the half-brother of our Lord Jesus. It is also interesting to note that he made reference to James, another half-brother of Jesus, which again, in the book of Acts, was known to be the pillar of of the early church. There was a name that would have been easily recognizable. So as we look back in Jude, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Immediately, those who were reading this would have said, oh, we know who James is. Now we know who Jude is, Judas. We now know who is writing us this letter. Why did he write it? Well, because like John... He was addressing the issue of apostasy creeping into the church. And as we're going to see, it appears that he started out not just wanting to write a devotional type of letter about the faith, but the Holy Spirit inspired him differently. You see, Jude is going to address the issue of false teachings that were infecting the church. And this is why I wanted to do the book of Jude before we got into Revelation, specifically when we get to the seven churches. We're going to see what's taking place in those early churches that are still taking place this day. So it's very important that we learn what was happening in the early church, and could it be happening now? It's happening now. Under the banner of Christianity, many of them are not Christians. Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Many of them are not doctrinally sound. They're not following biblical doctrinal statements. And so, but God is the ultimate judge, so we don't judge salvation, but we are called to be fruit inspectors. Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. So we want to be careful who we hang around, who we listen to, who we're going to take input from the Bible from, because if they are false teachers, then we don't want to hang around them because that will influence. So we have to be fruit inspectors. Investments, uh, salvation investigators? No. That's between God and them. That's between God and them. God will take care of all that. But we do want to make sure that we are fruit inspectors. You see, it wasn't taking long for the enemy to try to infiltrate what the Lord had established. And it's a good picture for us. When you accept the Lord, it doesn't take the enemy long to come against you and try to convince you of what, that, that what you did was a waste of time. You know, First Peter tells us this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So that's for all of us, but especially as a new believer. And in speaking of Peter, this letter is closely related to 2 Peter chapter 2 in the fact that Jude is warning his audience against false teachings and uses similar illustrations. Matter of fact, in 2 Peter chapter 2, is totally committed to false teachers and their effects upon the flock. But here's the interesting part. 
Scholars believe that Peter wrote his epistle in 66 AD and is writing about the false teachings that will arise. Future tense. So as you read Peter, you're going to say he's talking about the future. Yet here in Jude, it's going to give similar warning. But what's interesting is that the only focus of his letter is to warn of apostasy or the falling away from doctrinal biblical truth that is already taking place. Present tense. Peter mentions it's going to take place. Jude, it's taking place right now. It's already happening. Well, when was it written? Well, we're not exactly sure the exact date it was written, but Jude makes reference to the apostles' teaching in verse 17. So scholars suggest that it was probably written sometime between 66 and 80 A.D. 66 and 80 A.D. Where was it written? Again, we don't know for sure where the letter was sent from or to whom it was written to, but as we will see, it is a general type of letter written to all believers. So let's dive into verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Notice that Jude doesn't pull out, I'm the Lord's brother card. You better listen to me because I'm the Lord's brother. But no, rather, he says that he is a servant or a doulos, and that word means one who is a voluntarily follows after the Lord, a servant, a slave. You see, he is a humble servant and was willing to lead by example. And we see this wonderful trait in the writings of the early saints. Let's look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. You see, they were willing to lay aside their own desires to follow after the Messiah and his example. But this is not an easy trait to get a hold of. But it's one of the most important traits that our Lord taught his disciples. In Mark chapter 10, verse 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. How can we apply that to us today? Well, maybe it's the supervisor. Maybe it's the CEO or whatever title is on that person that is over you and you feel like they're lording over you. Or maybe you have a title. Are you lording over your employees? Well, let's see what Jesus goes on to say. Yet, it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. This is a very hard attribute to grasp and to get a hold of and to cling to because this is diametrically opposed to our flesh. We want to be served. We want to be first. We want to be catered to. But what we see in the scriptures is we're called to die. We're called to die throughout the day. And when you think you're done dying, then you need to die some more. And when you're tired of dying, then you push yourself and you die some more. And you see another need, so you die to what you need and you die some more. And then you see something else going on. You're going, do I have to die now? And the Holy Spirit says, would you die already? Just die. Just keep dying and serve. 
Well, where would I get that from? Look at verse 45. And we have this in our Sunday school. As you walk into the Sunday school, I know some of you have never been in there, but as you walk into the Sunday school, we have a painting, a mural, a beautiful mural over there of hands washing the feet. Basically showing Jesus washing 24 stinky feet the night before he's going to be crucified. Well, what does Jesus say in Mark chapter 10? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, the King of kings and Lord of lords, guys. The one who spoke. I hope you're coming out to Wednesday night. Come out Wednesday night. Pastor Darrell is doing the book of Genesis. Jesus spoke everything into being. Yet he willingly came and took on frail human fat, flesh so that he could serve, so that he could die and die day after day. Not the physical death that he ultimately died, but just dying every day, trying to teach these 12 knuckleheads in three years, guys, you've got to die to yourselves. And even on the night before the crucifixion, they were still in the upper room arguing who was going to sit on the right and left hand of Jesus. Now, once the Holy Spirit came in them, and once the Holy Spirit came upon them, they got it. They understood, and then they went out, and they started to die, 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 die. And they literally were martyred. They literally died. Again, not an easy thing. But for you and I as Christians, we're called to die to self, to be like our servant, I mean, to be like our master, Jesus. The next thing we see, to those who are called sanctified by God. So the next thing we see in this verse is the word sanctify, which would lead us to believe that Jude is addressing sanctification, that cleansing process that takes place at justification until glorification, that sanctification process becoming more like Jesus. So let's read it out of the New Living Translation. Let's read it out of the New Living Translation, Jude 1 here. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father who loves you. That word loves there is sanctified. That's why it's underlined. Who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. You see, the word sanctified is actually the word agapu, which is from the root word of, and you're going to know this word, agape which we know is unconditional, committed, selfless type of love. So Jude, who is the younger sibling of Jesus and had obviously lived with Jesus his whole life, came to understand that love that God has for everyone, including Gentiles. And I'm sure that Jude had wonderful memories of how much Jesus loved his siblings. Could you imagine being a sibling of Jesus? And him, nev- and him never slapping you upside the head. Of him never calling you names, never putting you down, but just loving you and caring for you and, and doing whatever he could do to bless you. I mean, what a brother that would have been. You see, we know that God loves us unconditionally, and I appreciate that fact immensely because I don't always love unconditionally. And I believe the next part of the verse brings up eternal security as we look at that. I'm preserved in Jesus Christ. The word preserved means to attend to carefully, take care of. To attend to carefully, take care of. Now here at this Calvary, we believe that you are eternally secure, that you cannot lose your salvation. Now if a person has made a head commitment, again, we're not salvation investigators. 
We're fruit inspectors. So if a person has made a head commitment, maybe they were never saved. But if they made a heart commitment, they are sealed until the day of redemption. So no matter where I go, no matter what I do, God is going to take care of me. He's going to take care of that fact that your salvation is kept safe. John 17, 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now, we got to cover this. I'm not suggesting that we go out and just sin because God is going to take care of this. This is what the Corinthians thought in 1 Corinthians. And Paul said, God forbid. That's not what the grace of God is all about. Just go out and sin because I'm forgiven. No, 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 not at all. The word teaches us that God is taking care of our salvation. But we can do various things that will grieve the Holy Spirit. And will cause us to reap things that we really do not want to reap. We're loved by God unconditionally. And he will protect our eternal states. But the next verse shows us what I mean about grieving the Holy Spirit or being found in sin. Verse 2. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. You see, when I'm in sin, I will not find these attributes growing in my life. I may desire mercy. But I don't have a lot of mercy for other people. So I'm not going to get mercy. This is the reaping and sowing principle found in the Word of God. You know, I I might want peace. But I can't keep my mouth closed long enough to bless somebody. I'm always saying something negative or putting somebody down. And I don't have peace. Well, maybe it's because you're not growing in the peace. You're so focused on yourself, or I'm so focused on me. Love. Love. You know, I don't know how to love people. Well, if you're not in your Bible from Genesis or Revelation, you're truly not going to learn how to love people. That's how I found how to love people. That's how I found out how to be a father, how to be a friend, how to be a husband. Other books, men's Bible studies, other things. But predominantly through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. So you need to be in your word on a regular basis because my eternal state is taken care of. But I do need to do my part in surrendering my life to God's word because you see the word multiplied there. There's principles of being added and as we grow in our faith, things are added to us. This is, a, this is an idea of multiplication. God, I need more mercy right now. I need more mercy right now. Because right now I, I want to do something. I want to say something I shouldn't say, shouldn't do. So God, I need mercy right now. Multiply it. Multiply it. Make it up. God, I need peace. I don't have peace right now. And I know I can have peace, but my flesh right now wants to rage. My flesh wants to do something that I know I can't do. So God, give me peace. What are you asking for? Are you asking for a specific attribute? Really what you're asking for is what we read in the Gospels where Jesus says in Luke, you evil fathers know how to give good things to your children. How much more... Will my heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? When you're asking for an attribute of God, really behind that, what you're asking is, God, give me more of your Holy Spirit. God, I need more of your Holy Spirit. And as you gain, and God will always answer that prayer, always answer that prayer, as you understand that now you're moving in the Holy Spirit, then you will be multiplied. And you will show mercy. When you walk away from the situation, you'll go, wow, what just happened? I... 
I didn't know I had that much mercy. I didn't know I had that much compassion. You know what? That's not what I normally do. How did I keep my composure? But because you prayed in that very second, God answered that prayer. God gave you more of the Holy Spirit. He multiplied it instantly. And all of a sudden, you were somebody that you weren't an hour ago or five minutes ago because you re-surrendered. And we need to re-surrender and re-surrender and re-surrender until we take our last breath. Then everyone will rejoice, a sinner has died. But until then, we're trapped in these bodies of flesh. We're saints, but we're trapped in these bodies of sin. And we need to ask for more of the Holy Spirit as the music team comes up. More of the Holy Spirit. You see, it just happens naturally through that supernatural process. Because again, a lot of people don't understand. A lot of Christians don't understand. They think they have to struggle. They have to strive. They have to beg. Well, if I just gave more money, then God would... You're not understanding. Please understand the simplicity of the gospel. It's quite clear. You ask for more of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will then give you the strength with whatever battle you're in to do what God would do and not what you would do. Remember? Jesus, Father, not my will, your will be done. How do we get His will done? Asking for more of the Holy Spirit. Regularly. Hour by hour, moment by moment, don't ever be afraid to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. He will give it to you. Father, we thank You and praise You for all that's taking place in our midst. Lord, we know you have a plan and a purpose behind all these things. And Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to participate in your kingdom. There are billions of people that have no idea about you, about Jesus, about the free gift of salvation. And we thank you for all the Bibles that are going out. We thank you for all the messages that are being sent around the world. And Father, we thank you that your word says that the Holy Spirit is drawing every single person to saving knowledge. That every single person has faith. It's their free will to use that faith, but it's there. So Father, we thank you for that. And we want to be a part of that process. So this week as we go out into our mission field, help us to be aware of what's going on around us. Help us to be available for people that are hurting. Maybe they're hurting emotionally, Maybe they're hurting physically, mentally, whatever the case may be. Maybe they don't understand that simple question about spirituality. And we can be available to help point them to Jesus. Father, we want to do that. So use us this week. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. We need more of your Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. For it's all for your glory. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.